Welcome to the One Small Change podcast with me, Dr. Simon Chard. I'm a cosmetic dentist, public speaker and startup entrepreneur, but most importantly, I'm a lifelong disciple of self-improvement and optimization. In this podcast, we present conversations with world-class industry leaders, sharing their expertise in high performance, spirituality, business and health. It's my job to dissect their key behaviours, routines and mindsets so that you can implement them today to create balance and success in your life. Today's episode is brought to you by Enlightened Tooth Whitening. As a cosmetic dentist, I've used Enlightened to provide tooth whitening results for my patients since I qualified. And the reason that I always come back to Enlightened is they guarantee that B1 result that means my patients are always happy with the outcome. So if you're a dentist, I'd thoroughly recommend reaching out to Enlighten to do one of their free online training courses. And if you're a patient, have a chat with your dentist today about Enlighten Tooth Whitening or even look out for one of their regional centres of excellence. Let's get on with the show. Hi, guys. Welcome to episode 11 of the One Small Change podcast. On today's show, we have Cinderella Balthazar. Cinderella is an incredibly talented singer-songwriter, model and composer. She's modelled for some incredible brands, including Dax, John Smedley, Vacheron Constantin, and Furler, to name just a few. Her debut single, Holding Back, is due to be released any day now, and her album, Tough Journey, is due towards the start of next year. Cinderella has a fascinating story from one of nine children growing up on a farm in Belgium to being one of the brightest new stars of the London music and fashion scene. With hundreds of thousands of followers online, Cinderella is a passionate and thoughtful person of influence, and I'm super excited for our chat today. So welcome, Cinderella. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you, Simon, for having me today. Thanks for coming on. It's lovely to see you. We've obviously, we've met very briefly in the past and and tried to get get together since then, but the pandemic's kind of got in the way. So um, how have you been dealing with with the pandemic and everything? I guess like everyone else, I've been hoping to be healthy. I've been taking new decisions in my life and just living really day by day. You can't really plan when the whole world is turned upside down. Absolutely. It makes it a, makes it a bit difficult, doesn't it? So, yes. um, so I, I want to start by, um, by going right back to the beginning. I mentioned in the intro there that you are the, the eldest of nine, which is, um, I'm sure um, has created a really interesting start to your life. So... Can you tell us a bit about um, your journey, your childhood, growing up in Belgium, um, from what I understand to be a very culturally diverse background, I think Chilean, Moroccan, British, Japanese, lots of different cultures. So I'd love to dive into that and and see how that shaped you um, from your childhood. Well, I'll start with saying that when you're the elders of uh, nine children and you're eating at a dining table, you learn to give to others first. You know that your smaller siblings have to be served before yourself. Um, so I guess I have kept that and I'm really aware on how to treat others. And it has um, brought me a long way. Um, I think a general feedback that I get from people is I'm very thoughtful. In addition, there's been a shift in my career when I decided, okay, now it's time to think for myself. I need to grab what I want. Otherwise, people are going to step over me. So that brought a lot of strength. Um, I love my background. I think it's incredible that um, it's so mixed at home. Um, I always thought I was only half Moroccan, half Chilean for many years, um, but I never knew my grandfathers. So I grew up with my mom, then my stepdad, and then one of my grandmoms. And 
um, it, it was kind of a taboo. No one really wanted to talk about my grandfathers. And I had to kind of nip a bit of information from the family and be like, so who's my granddad? Who's my granddad? And I got to learn that uh, my granddad from my mother's side was Japanese. And I got to learn that um, from my dad's side, he was British. So that was um, a very hectic time for me not to know where I was from. Still today, I'd say I struggle a little bit with identity, but I'm just considering myself as a child of the world. Absolutely. I think I think that's a really important, really important topic, to be honest with you, because I, really, I listened to a podcast the other day with Marcus, um, Aubrey Marcus and uh, Sadhguru, and they were talking about the fact that uh, I think Sadhguru has been working on a world, a world national anthem. Um, which I thought was a really interesting topic because we are all we all identify as these these countries with borders, um, and and they they are just in essence just lines drawn in the sand by humans. Then then oftentimes not real borders. There's there's nothing really there um, to divide us. But yet we we divide ourselves by attributing ourselves to that nationality. It's a, it's a really interesting concept being a a world citizen as opposed to the citizen of a certain country or race even i do consider myself as a citizen of the world and i don't think um cultures really define me um the world and where i stay who i interact with um what is inside me defines me yeah absolutely really really agree with that so you mentioned there that um that you've sort of grown into this this strength and this position this sort of uh, I, I view you as being sort of a very quietly powerful individual, uh, and when I say powerful, I mean you have sort of inner inner strength, and and you, I guess you really need that in your in your industries. I mean, you work in in music and modelling; they're very very competitive environments. Um, do you think you've grown confidence over time? Uh, is it something that you're still working on, or do you feel like you're you're, you're there now? Hundred oh, percent. I've grown into a more confident person. Um, my mom used to call me a uh, little gordita, which means a uh, little fat girl, because I had a bit on weight when I was a kid. <laughs> For many years, I would look at the mirror and I would see a round version of what I was really. And um, I had a lot of um, body, comp- um, how to say, um, I didn't really see value in my body. And music gave me strength from very early on. I discovered a passion for music as early as eight years old. And I loved seeing singers on stage and the confidence they were radiating. Um, so that was kind of for me a goal to achieve that confidence on stage. And with time, it just came naturally. Um, with fashion, because I had that strength from music already, and I saw that it was even more competitive than music. Um, I had to grow stronger, but at the same time, kinder. Yeah, absolutely. And I've heard that quite a few times from, we had Richard Badu on, who I think you know uh, on the podcast previously, and he he spoke a lot about that, that the industry, for it almost is set up to create this competition and this negativity between individuals uh, going for the same the same role. But actually, if you go into everything just saying, I might get this, I might not, and if you if someone else gets it, then good on them. It was it was the right opportunity for them. I think it's a, a much happier place to to be mentally, right? 
you got to be supportive of each other. Everyone is fighting hard. Everyone is working hard. And jealousy takes you nowhere. You're only in competition with yourself, really. If you don't get that job, it's on you, not on them. Yeah, absolutely. Not ready. And they may not be ready for you. So you got to work harder and be more true to yourself and don't change for others, ever. For sure, for sure. And we'll, we'll get on to how that drives your music later on in the chat, I think, because I, I really, I'm really interested in that whole um, show business versus show art, which I saw you reference before. But bef- before we get to that, let's let's talk a bit more about how how you made this leap from well, f- from Belgium to the UK. Um, I'd be really interested to know how you made that decision because I've, I've battled... I love the beach, I love the sea, I love the sunshine, and yet I live in, in London, which I love, I love London, but the weather is, is not great. Um, and I've sort of thought in my head before, oh, it'd be great to go and live somewhere else, live in Australia, live in, uh, by the sea in LA or something like that. Um, you've obviously made that big leap from, from one country to another away from, from family and friends. Was that a hard decision for you, an easy one? How did, how did you make that call? It was an emotional decision. Um... I've always wanted to uh, be in music and I wanted to, I wanted my music to reach an international audience. Um, when I made a decision to move to the UK, um, it was mostly because I wanted to learn English properly and be able to write songs in English. And it was either London, the UK, or New York, the US. And I thought, if I'm going to the US now and something goes wrong, I may not even have the money to come back. However, London is much closer if there's any problem. So that made it a bit easier. In terms of weather, it's exactly the same weather. So I didn't miss in the sun. And I thought, well, it's only one hour away, two hours away with the Eurostar to come back home. So the decision, the decision wasn't that hard. Um, in addition, at that time, I broke up with my first boyfriend. I didn't really like my university. And I, I needed a change, and I thought London was where I had to be for music. So knowing that, it made the decision very easy for me to make. However, I had no money, so I had to look up how to survive without money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, London's not the cheapest of places to live, is it? <laughs> it's not. But it's always ways, you know, you got coach surfing. I stayed on a coach of random people for three months really? till I found a yeah, and then my first job here was a bartender. I was paid six pound nineteen an hour, fifty hours to be able to pay my rent. It, it drives you. That's amazing. And so, how long ago was that? That was in two thousand and twelve. Two thousand and twelve. So about nine years ago now. Eight and a half. Closer <laughs> <laughs> to the eight and the ten. Yeah. That's that's fascinating. I mean, and and what a long way you've you've come from from there. What what came? I know you mentioned before that uh, your 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 love of music and your how you viewed the the stars on the stage to be your ambition um, was something that came very young in your life. But what came first, career wise? Was it was the was the modelling the the first part of um, sort of the, let's just call it the show business industry that you fell into, or, or was it the music that started that and then the modeling came later? It's the uh, music. It's uh, a general question I have because people, when they see the socials, the online presence, it's very focused on fashion. 
And that's voluntary because I have been working on an album for five years. So I've been kind of working in secrets, but I still had to maintain a public profile. Um, so music came first. I uh, joined a competition in the UK called Open Mic UK. And it's 10,000 participants every year. It's specifically for songwriters. And the competition is displayed on YouTube. You get the judges are all ARs for um, big record labels like Warner Music, Sony, Sico Entertainment. So I participated in 2013. I ended up in the 15 last finalists, and then I decided to join the competition again the next year because I was not happy with my position. I was like, I am, gonna <laughs> and I'm going to win. I did not win. I ended up in the last fifth um, five finalists. And then I got deals offered by uh, major labels. Amazing. So yeah. when was that? That was in 2014, 2015. And I rejected the the major deals and I got an independent label that came, um, offered me a deal. And I signed for an album in 2015. And since then, I've been working on the album. So why did you make the decision to go for an independent label instead of for one of the um, the major players? I read the contract, which a lot of musicians don't. Um, you look at the money and you're like, ooh, this sounds great. But then you tend to forget not to read all the terms and conditions. And I was like, mm, I'm not sure I want to be uh, liable for that many years with a label. Um, working with an independent label that could offer me the same amount of money but with more flexible terms was more appealing at the time. I guess it gives, is it, did it, does it give you more control over the art at the same time? A hundred percent. I have a hundred percent creative control over my music. And that's a, a blessing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's, let's get on to that point. So you mentioned, as I said before, this show business, not show art. Um, and, and you, it was one of your Instagram posts that was talking about how a lot of people focus on the commercials versus the, um, actually doing what what speaks to them and and what they want to create um is this um is this something that's guided you throughout your careers is, is it is it the reason why you've been working on the album now for so long just really shaping and crafting it a hundred percent i could have released it earlier i could have compromised with my vision and maybe it would have worked who knows um but today, I'm very happy I took the time because I've been also shaped as an artist. I know much more what I want than what I wanted two or three years ago. Um, nothing wrong with going commercial. Commercial means just that your song worked really well and was appealing to the public and you had loads of sales. So even something that's not commercial can become commercial. Like what popular songs are. Pop is just what the public likes and what becomes popular around the world. Yeah, absolutely. And so, what sort of style is your is your music? I've 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 uh, searched a few of your songs on YouTube and online, but what 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 can we expect from from the new single and and from the album that's coming shortly after? So it's going to be very focused on cinematic soul, so a mix of classical music, um, cinematic soundtracks, and strong soulful voice. Sounds great. Yeah, I, 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 I definitely, when I've heard a few of your songs in the past, I've got sort of London grammar type vibes, um, which is, um, they're one of my, um, one of my favourite, uh, favourite bands. And we saw them live and they were just absolutely incredible. 
Um, so what? So I'd like to dive in a little bit into the, the whole creative process for you and and what what's involved from your end from a from a structure in your life when it comes to creating this. I mean, an album such a big thing. I'm sure it's dominated so much of your of your day to day. How do you structure structure your days to to get to that creative place? Is structure a benefit or is structure a negative when it comes to to creating a masterpiece? <laughs> You need structure. Uh, to start with, you have a deadline when you sign a contract with a publisher or a record label. So you need to make sure you have monthly deadlines that you reach. You need to sometimes cut yourself off completely from people just so that you can write. Now, it depends what kind of contract you sign. But I sign as a singer-songwriter, so I have to write all my lyrics. And to be in that creative place, I need to book a studio, uh, be at home when there's nobody and be able to play with my instruments for hours, hours, getting sheets done. And structure is so important. Health is important. I'm not really a tortured musician who is going to be drinking and taking drugs. I'm more like the healthy type going for a morning run at 6 a.m., coming back, getting my shower, my hair done, dressing up and be like, hmm, I have X many hours I need to write, X many lyrics, oh, I need to... I work on my press release, work on the strategy. So, yeah, my days are very structured and I try to stick to it. I eat very healthy. Um, it's so important. Otherwise, I don't think I would be able to um, reach my deadlines. And this is why a lot of artists who are getting um, signed to labels get blocked because there's no structure in their life and they are not able to commit to the deadlines they were given. Interesting. And, and so what comes first for you? It, do the, and this is a part of my ignorance, if this is a really obvious question, but is the, do the melodies and the, and the music come before the lyrics or do you, do you build the lyrics out and then try and find a melody that suits that lyrical content? I don't think it's an ignorant question. I think it's a great question. It's something that I've been asked often. Um, and the answer I usually give is... It goes both ways. Sometimes I'm walking in the street, I'm hearing a bird sing, and I'm like, oh, kind of humming this in my head. Melody comes, lyrics come after. Sometimes I'm listening to a track, and then lyrics suddenly come up on the top of what is being sung or played already. And sometimes I just take my guitar, and I'm rehearsing another song, and my hand slip. And I'm like, oh, this note is great. Let me try to get around that. So it really go inspiration can come from any corner, from at any point, any moment. I can have a, a rider block for two months, get depressed over it, and suddenly I'm gonna go for a drink with friends and I have an inspiration. So it comes from nowhere. It's just about being able to put it on paper and make sure you develop the idea. Yeah, I'd love to I'd love to delve into that writer's block. Um uh, topic because I, I imagine that can be so so frustrating um it is uh, and around that sort of knockbacks and failures within the industry is that is that something that you you feel that from a you have a, an integral strength to deal with is it something that you've struggled with do you struggle with mental health at all um and do you have any frameworks around you to to help work on those uh, i have definitely suffered from mental health um from growing up and thinking I was overweight because I was called little gordita all my life. Um, to grow up 
in an industry where your physique is so important, um, do you, you know, not tall enough, too, too tall, too big, too small, too mixed race, not enough mixed race, <laughs> you name it. Um, so mental health is a, is something that I have struggled with and I know almost every musician has struggled with. There's also this, when you play on stage or when you write something, it comes from the heart, it comes from your soul and you pour it all out. And then you have this high, like when you take a drug, whatever you've taken a drug or not, not comment on that. <laughs> but you get a big high. And when the high is over, you get a big low. Mm. Each you got everything. And the hardest is to come and to win over that low. Um, and this is where I decided to have a very healthy routine with working out. If I don't work out, I feel very demotivated. Um, if I don't go for and working out doesn't mean oh, I'm going to go for a 5k every day. But at least going for a walk an hour and a half and enjoy the nature, enjoy the sunlight, enjoy fresh air. Um, I've had weeks when I would just hold up at home trying to write and nothing would come out of it. So the way I deal with now is that I take it easy. If I can write, well, so be it. And I'm going to treat myself. I'm going to go for that walk. Um, I'd say my little vice is uh, two coffees in a row. Back-to-back espresso. Just to feel the caffeine high. Um, but don't beat yourself up. Literally, if you have a block in anything you do in life, it's normal. Everyone goes through it. If you ever feel unconfident with your body, everyone feels it from the top models who are known for their physique and beauty to the general person working at the supermarkets. We all go through phases where we feel really good and where we don't feel good. And it's normal. And it's just about accepting that, okay, today I'm not feeling that great, but now that you're great, you are. It's just your mind playing tricks. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a quote that says that this too shall pass. I think that's such a great way to look at any feelings of negativity is that even if a storm is coming through, it'll, it'll pass and the blue sky will be uh, will be there shortly. It's, it's always there. I mean, there's always blue sky and sunshine above the clouds, but sometimes we can feel so caught up in the storm, in, in the eye of the storm, and, and you don't feel like it's ever going to end. Um, and I think that's a really good framework for um, for mental health issues. That's a great quote. So you, you mentioned there just briefly um, around the the fashion industry, around uh, body size and shape, around race. Um, and I know when when the BLM um, movement came on last year, I, you were you were very vocal around that on your social media. It's clearly a topic that you're passionate about and and felt that you needed to, to draw a line in the sand on um, from your angle. Um, what's the industry like now um, in respect to body shape and size, race, equality? It seems like there's been a lot of talk. From your angle, do you feel that there's been progress and do you think it's enough? Oh, it's definitely not enough. Let's be honest there. There is a long way to go. Um, it's something I'm very vocal about it because I've experienced discrimination myself, uh, whatever on racial side or a gender side. 
And I think the industry, both in music and fashion, has a long way to go. Um, not long ago, I saw this huge brand making a campaign. And let's um, just name drop Zara. And it was completely cultural appropriation. And it was just, it, it comes to a point where it's disgusting and it's for cloud. So some brands will keep doing this because they know they can get away with it and because it attracts uh, attraction. And yes, it's a little bit of, you know, what I say, bad publicity is good publicity. Um, so there's a lot to work on. There has been a change. I know that the aftermath of BLM um, X-Wave, because there's been a lot of waves before that, but with the whole lockdown and people being at home, it had a bigger impact because people had just enough. And I was approached by brands uh, just after that last wave. Um, to be an introduction to diversity for, for their brands. So I'm just the right shade to introduce <laughs> that amount of uh, diversity. Yeah. And, and sometimes the way you got to take it, that, uh, look at it is, okay, well, if I have a foot in the door, I'm going to bring my friends in. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I think you should hire this model and I think you should work with this person. You know, um, you want to look good. You want to make an effort. Uh, well, this is the way you make an effort. And some brands have taken the hint, they've uh, opened the door much more. Some brands have just been performative. So there's, yeah, a long way to go. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, it's, I feel like it's a, it's a similar thing with, with big brands and sustainability. It's like when, 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 how do they prove themselves without coming across as just being artificial? Do you know what I mean? Um, and, and it's got to come from within. It's got to be honest and true. And I think it's quite, it's, uh, it's always, uh, the, for example, with greenwashing and with, um, with uh, the whole issue of race, it's, it's when, when, when ha I guess they've got to show it uh, reliably and predictably for many years to show that they actually mean what they're, what they're talking about. Oh, 100%. Or actively showcasing that they're making an effort, not just performative, not just in the eye of the public, but internally as well. Um, I was um, looking at uh, the Musicians Union Members Board, and their headquarters are um, situated in London. And the whole board, which was about 15 individuals, were all Caucasian. I mean, you're in London. It's not hard to find qualified in individuals from every single ethnicity and um, so i thought okay there's and it's not just in music and fashion it's in the hospitality it's in almost every sector um so there's a need for change but people are now being vocal and not letting themselves trample over and i think especially the next generation gen z is incredibly vocal and I admire them for that they are a strong force not to mess with yeah absolutely i think from from my point of view as a as a white privileged male um and my when i say privileged i mean in in many ways in that i live in a nice area and i've had a very nice upbringing i, I feel very fortunate in many ways i sometimes find it a bit difficult to support um 
the cause uh, without sort of feeling like I'm jumping on the bandwagon. Do you know what I mean? Like with the whole BLM thing, I I put a black square on my on my Instagram because I, I despise racism and I, I can't believe we're still talking about racism in 2021. But at the same time, I sometimes find it quite difficult to get involved in the conversation without just feeling like I'm jumping on a stupid Instagram trend. You know what I mean? It's a similar thing with this horrible situation in, in the States with um, with Asian hate at the moment. Um, it's like, well, obviously I want to support not having hate against someone because they're from from China or from Asia or, or whatever. But at the same time, you don't want to sort of be part of a trend if you know what I mean I, I don't know if I've if I've described that accurately but that's my my honest feeling about the situation uh, um, I'm very grateful that you're actually sharing um, your feeling it's not an easy thing to do and I think there's many people in your situation who feel um, uncomfortable about talking how they feel and like I don't jump on Instagram friends I refuse to put a black square I don't be an because uh, the majority of my friends are from every single ethnicity and um, having a quarter of North African blood and having experienced racism, this was something I strongly believed in. Now with uh, sub-Asian hate, I'm also a quarter Asian and I have seen, I have seen many stereotypes and um, uncomfortable jokes being done by majority Caucasian friends. And this is something I don't let go. I've never really let go. I've always been someone very vocal about it. And like, oh, don't be so sensitive. I'm not being sensitive. I'm being educated. And I think you sharing this, uh, I would just recommend, and that's a personal recommendation. Uh, like I said, don't jump on the Instagram trend, but talk about it with your surroundings. If you have uh, anyone who has experiences, um, talk with them. Because by talking, you'll educate yourself. By talking, you'll learn a different perspective. And from there, you can make a more personal decision than just jumping into the trend. Yeah, absolutely. I think education and communication is is the answer to so many of the world's issues, right? If, if people were made the effort to be more educated in the topic and made more of an effort to communicate effectively, we would be able to solve a lot of the, uh, the issues of the world. And I wanted to add in addition, it's hard with all the information that we're getting online. It, it has also an impact on our mental health. And it's important that you choose a cause you really believe in instead of being a tool in 10 different causes. Mm. You gotta believe in what you're saying and what you can do on the side is just educate yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I mentioned before, um, sort of greenwashing and, and the link with sustainability and, and big brands faking <laughs> faking their uh, their environmental um, beliefs. Sustainability and, and impact on the planet is something that I'm, I'm very, very passionate about. Um, and obviously the fashion industry, I can't remember the exact quote that Richard Badu told me, but he really shocked me with the, uh, the negative, I think it's one of the top um, negative impacts on, on the environment behind like, fossil fuels um, fashion comes in second uh, as to the impact on the environment from a water point of view and and from an environmental damage point of view I know I know you've done some work with John Smedley in the past around sustainability um, can you speak to to the importance of, of this topic for, from your point of view and and again if you feel like there's there is change in the industry yes 
So when I signed with Transmedley, uh, we were approached because we already had a foot in the sustainability world. This is something uh, I was believed in. Uh, same with my partner, Matthias. Um, I believe in partnership. I prefer buying from an independent designer. I prefer buying from an independent store, even for my grocery, as support local. It has an impact. I don't, I reach it level with my social media and with my um, public profile. I do get gifted a lot from rats, but I reject most of the gifting. If it's polyester, usually I'll be like, no, thank you. If your um, beauty product are not organic, no, thank you. Like, I want what's best for my body, but also for my planet. I don't need a hundred dresses that are made of polyester, knowing that one, they're not good for your skin, two, the impact they have to make them. It's just wrong. I'd rather have a piece of clothing that I can wear for many, many, many years, that I can amend myself. Um, I think most of my clothes I currently have, I've had them for like five or six years. Not really, and of course, in the public eye, I mean, oh, she has a new outfit, but most of the outfits, actually, I just loan them from designers. I don't want them to give it to me. If they only have one piece and they're small designers, like, I'll wear it at an event, I'll wear it for a photo shoot, and then I give it to you back because I know this is going to help with, um, like, the promotion of your company is going to help for maybe future sales, but most of the designers are not making like kind of pieces that are saying in storage. I don't support fast fashion brands. I don't work with them because I don't believe in their ethics and I don't believe how, um, how they work. I, I believe in fair pay, in proper materials. We live in a world where it's just, it's horrible to see all those landfills with clothes. And it, it, it's just disgusting and there's, Nothing you can do much as a single person, but there is at the same time a lot you can do. So, so what 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 can people do? What can the listeners do to? And and let's let's be quite specific here. Let's say that that because obviously it's it's quite easy to um, with a big budget to um, to buy sustainably because sustainable things tend to cost more. For for those individuals who maybe don't have. Um, the, the bigger budget. I mean, John Smedley, for example, incredibly nice um, uh, clothing that they create, a lot of merino, I think, and that sort of thing. But obviously with that comes a high price point. What can people do on a lower budget to um, to shop a bit more sustainably? Shop vintage. There are in a lot of apps at the moment. Well, I'm talking UK first. Mm-hmm. But, um, look at Vinted, Depop eBay, you can buy a lot of really nice clothes for a very cheap price. I know that when I sell some of my clothes, I sell branded clothes for like less than £20 because I just want it out of my home. Yeah. Um, And I give a lot to charity as well. So you can go to charity shops and find incredible pieces of secondhand stores. There is nothing wrong with that. I've bought some and I still do. I find it's fun. It's fun to give another life to a piece of clothing that is not going to end up in the So you don't need to buy new to look good. You don't need to buy new to prove anything to anyone. It's just not needed. But yeah, don't maybe don't buy any new beauty, like vintage beauty products. I wouldn't yeah. trust it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, there are 
it's ever smaller. I mean, it costs less when you buy sustainable. Like it's a lifestyle. It is a, it's a commitment. So you got to look at your wardrobe and check, do I really need like 10 different polos from a, that costs five to 10 pounds from Zara, Primark, H&M, or can I just buy one or two from proper sustainable brands? And, you know, reach out to them and say, hey, this is my budget. Everyone is, um, like, there's always a discussion for negotiations. Price I never faced. <laughs> I like that. I'm, I'm going to go into Louis Vuitton and, and, and haggle with them on the price point. You have staff discount. Yeah, I like that. That's a good one. But no, it's, 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 it's bang on. I mean, as you say, it, it, is, it, is, it just takes thought. It's thoughtfulness, again, that we come back to here. If you're, if you're thoughtful about the fact that those five pieces from Topshop are going to cost the same as that one piece from John Smedley, then, but you know you're going to get that, that product is going to last for so much longer because it's been made um, with correct manufacturing techniques, then, then the finances work out, right? It's just a change of, of mindset. The difficulty is we're driven by such consumerism day in, day out with regards to the advertising that we're targeted with and, and we're, we're driven to think that we need things in our lives need new things in our lives all the time when actually if we take a step back we don't we don't really need that we don't when we accumulate things um they're all in, in a way kind of social hoarders we are hoarding social media we are hoarding visuals and you got to look at your home and be like okay are, are those things making me happy or they're just filling a void and that void is something internally that I need to fix. Yeah, absolutely. In, during this pandemic, uh, so I've talked with several brands, luxury and non-luxury, and many have been actually doing really well with online sales. And this was a an example of showing that when people lose control, and I mean, with this pandemic, people have lost control over their daily lives, over their daily routines. So you end up spending money to because you control that money. So you think I have no control over my life again. By this amount of money, I'm making this decision. You're gonna have that package at home, you're gonna open it, and you're gonna have that moment of excitement, which is instant gratification. And then this new trouser, new pair of heels, new, I don't know, new TV. It's going to replace the old one, but maybe you're going to keep on and hold on to that old one um, because you have feeling because it's hard to let go of things. You know, things make me made a, make us like look me in control, but you're not. The more things you have, the less in control. Yeah, absolutely. It's at so many points in my life, I think back. I think that going back to the way that we used to do things makes so much more sense. It's the same way I think about food and. Um, and my my decisions around what I eat, I, I'm not I'm not a vegan um, or a vegetarian. Although I, I try to increase the amount that I eat because traditionally meat was um, a luxury that we that we eat infrequently, and we we respected the animals in the way that they were cared for and and, and brought up. Whereas now everything is everything has to be there all the time. Everything has to be the lowest price. So I'm more than happy to eat meat. Um, but I, I look at the sourcing and I look at the uh, the sustainability of 
and how the animal was looked after. And, and I eat, for example, grass-fed beef that's been um, that's been uh, come from from a local source. And I think by by being going back to the way that our grandparents used to do things, there's so many there's so many things there. There's so many benefits there for for us personally, but also for for the environment and the planet. Because if we carry on in this consumerized led fast fashion fast food fast everything mindset as the population increases we're just going to use all of the world's resources and we're not going to have a planet to to live on anymore and we're going to have to follow elon musk to to mars <laughs> it's just hard you know i've been in a situation where i could not afford to buy organic food or food just short uh, i would go to pawn shop and buy um, a pack of five noodles uh, for one pound and I would live on it for the like next three four days and maybe I'll I'll go to Sainsbury and buy um, some breads and muffins for less than a pound because I was just broke and no money so I've been in a situation where I just could not afford it and I'd say if you can afford it make the switch um, buy organic food buy sustainable clothes because the more of us doing it, the more uh, companies will see a surge in their numbers and be like, mm, we have more customers that want this. Let's put this product forward and maybe um, let's lower the prices so more people can buy it. We as consumers have a big power, but it's up to us to take it. Absolutely. And, and this is this is why we, we call, we, that's why I call this podcast One Small Change. And that's why the hashtag of my uh my plastic free toothpaste company is is one small change because i do genuinely believe that if we all make these changes then just through pure financials the economy of scale for the companies that are manufacturing things makes more sense to go sustainable because uh, but that has to be driven by us they they're not going to voluntarily well some some will some companies that are driven by purpose and this tends to be the disruptors and the smaller brands they will they will they will move towards their purpose and they'll accept a poorer financial position because of it, which is exactly what I've done with my toothpaste. It costs a lot more to make things in a sustainable way, to put it in sustainable packaging. Every decision, the question is, right, can we have that? Uh, yep, yeah, it's really cheap, but it's completely unsustainable. Okay, so we can't have that. What's the next option? This one, oh, it looks awful, but it's sustainable and it's really expensive. No, we won't have that. Okay, finally, the, the most expensive one looks nice and it's sustainably sourced or, or, or sustainable packaging. And those are the decisions that you have to make as a, as a business. And that's really difficult, especially if you've got big shareholders already and you're already a big company. It's very difficult to persuade a board or to persuade um, even your customer base that products need to cost more to be sustainable and it's just but then the more people take them on the more you can drive the cost down and then the more of the mass market can take it on board and that i think that's the way that we have to think as a as a population um that we can make a difference by our purchasing decisions not letting yourself influence directly by all what we see i feel i have a responsibility to show my followers what can be done and what not but mostly like I share my beliefs and it's sometimes hard because of course I work with some bigger brands who are not always sustainable, but they rise my profile. So I have, there's a small compromise here. So the bigger my voice is, the more change I can do. But sometimes to climb that step, I need to make a slight concession and it's all about okay, 
how do I feel inside? Am I ready to make that concession or not? And sometimes I'm just like, no, no way. And sometimes I'm like, okay, if I make that concession with you, which concession are you making with me? And we come to an agreement. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really, it's really nice to hear you speak honestly about that because that's that's how everyone is, right? You need the you need the the voice to make the change. You need the bigger brand with the traditional brand to in some sometimes to get you to that position. Um, so it's a really interesting thought process. There's no shame in sometimes compromising a little bit. Uh, it's all about okay, what is the bigger reason behind us? It's uh, easy to do it on one decision, but you've got to see in the long term. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, let's let's switch tacks a bit. Um, you mentioned uh, Matthias there before, um, who uh, we're hoping to get on the show. He's a, he's a very talented um, uh, photographer and, and creative director and model, and um, I'm obsessed with his fashion. Um, but um, how how do you find uh, working in the industry together, um, being partners? Um, uh, romantically, but also uh, working together. I, mean, I know, I know, you do some of your own photography with each other and that sort of thing. Certainly, over lockdown, I saw all the sets that you had set up in your in your house. Um, but yeah, how does how does that work, and and how does that how does that drive your your careers individually and as a couple? I'm just interested to know, as someone who works with his wife as well. So, well, I think I've been very blessed to find a partner that understands the person I am that gives me the freedom to be who and what I want to be. And it goes vice versa. We met before our careers started arriving. Um, and we took some decision, big decisions together from moving in to um, taking projects on together. So I was doing my music and he was doing his university. He also has his business back in Denmark. And we both had a passion for YouTube. So I used to have a YouTube channel and he used to have a YouTube channel when we were teenagers. Um, and one day we were like, oh, well, let's, um, let's kind of work on our Instagram. You know, let's, um, we both like fashion already. Um, let's see how that goes. And I don't know, it's just when rolling, um, things went really quickly and we got once asked for a model job together. And it just felt very natural to do it. Um, we started buying our camera gear and I would shoot him, he would shoot me. The first jobs were brands, he was my photographer and I was his photographer. And we were like, okay, sometimes we need some time off from each other. So I was like, go work with somebody else. Uh, leave me, I'm going to my studio. I don't want to see you for two days. Oh, I need a break. Let's go travel. Um, no phones, no computer. We've had fights over stupid things such as, why did you take a photo that makes me look so bad? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so it's not like, oh, there we are perfect. Yeah. No, love each other. We have amazing time. We had fights over the silliest things. Um, I guess our biggest fight are over food. You, know, you share a plate and then he eats three quarter of my food. <laughs> <laughs> And then we go on the set, and I would be very angry and super smiley to the whole team, and then super mean to him. Yeah. But like, are people being able to see it because you got to keep professional. Yeah. Um, so I think we've really grown together. We've uh, it's all about respect and um, respecting our career choices, 
um, talk, communication. We talk so much. Um, and I just find a partner that really understands me and someone that I enjoy being around and I see him being the father of my children. I think after six, almost six years dating, it's uh, someone I definitely see as my lifetime partner. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, I've, I've heard that a lot, that strength. Um, and I feel it myself with my own relationship, that strength really from having that person who you're so close with just builds you up to be able to do so much more, I think. Um, and it's unique. I think I think working together in the same profession gives you a, a, a unique unique selling point. Sounds sounds a bit crass, but um, it, it's it's a it's a powerful um, situation to be in. I think to be so close and to have such strength with each other that you can you can be you, only in that position can you be fully supportive. I think when you have your own confidence and your own um, your own position as an individual. Um, but then if you can both have that and then both push forward together, it's such a strong, strong position. And I, and I don't understand for me, I know that I've seen a lot of discussion recently around open relationships and um, how the world has changed now. We don't need to be monogamous with it, with another partner. But for me, that just makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, that that relationship with one other individual is it gives me so much strength. Not that I need that myself, because I am a naturally quite a confident person, but it's it's an addition as opposed to a subtraction, I think, which a lot of people view it as nowadays. Uh, I've seen some conversation around uh, monogamy and polygamy, and I've, I would base my um, my opinion on history and on nature and science. Um, through religion, many people think that as humans, we are meant to be, to marry someone and to be just with one person. However, through history, there has been many instances where uh, people had multiple wives or multiple husbands. Now, in nature, there are animal, animals who couple with only one other of those uh, species. But there are other animals who actually uh, copulate with different mates. So. Like nature, we are versatile. Uh, I see myself with one partner only, but I do respect and I understand if someone sees themselves with different partners or multiple partners, because nature and history has shown us that this is totally plausible. So whatever my heart tells me is not whatever someone else's heart is telling them. Um, so yeah, I'm only basing my opinion on what I've seen from nature and what I've seen from history. Uh, I wouldn't personally do it, but I totally question it. It's like if that makes you, if that is what makes you happy, go for it. Yeah, I guess it's about it's about honesty with others and honesty with yourself, right? If that's the way you feel, then then that's that's how you, that's where you should go in your life, and don't let societal societal pressures push you into a direction that, that doesn't fill you with joy. Oh, hundred percent. It's like what society used to tell us about who you can love. Oh, um, homosexuality homosexuality is still a sin in many uh, many states and you can go in prison for that but yeah. it's completely normal or um you know like the, you, you have um being a, a transgender woman or a transgender man and still um there's still so much controversy around it but it's been something that's been around for i mean around I, I'm, I'm i'm using the wrong words and terms for it 
but it's just normal and society has been telling us what's normal and what's not mm. and sometimes you've got to break those boundaries from society absolutely but i think at the same time and i and i completely agree with that i think at the same time some of the things that we've formed as a society we shouldn't necessarily reject all of them i think it's very easy for people to flip between the two at the moment it feels like as a as a young society we're rejecting everything that's been present previously for example mm. things like marriage i feel like some people are very anti-marriage because it's a societal thing which I understand because I don't think we should just do stuff because that's the way it's always been done. In fact, I completely disagree with that position. But at the same time, having a marriage, I'm married myself, and, and going through that process of declaring your love for someone in front of all your friends and family who you love, there's, there's, there's a beauty to that. And there's a reason why as a society we built that institution. Um, and it's not just a religious one. I don't think it's a it's a it's a community and a society thing. So I think it's it's really important that people find that balance. I've been thinking about it a lot recently between change for for a reason versus just change for change's sake because you feel like you have to change everything. I don't think that's in society's best interest. Yeah, I totally agree with it. Um... I don't reject the idea of marriage. I think marriage is a celebration of a union of love. And it doesn't need to be done officially. It doesn't need to be done religiously. It's just a promise to each other. Yeah. It's a question of reframing things, I think, sometimes, instead of completely rewriting the book, right? Cool. Well, we've gone through quite a few serious topics there. So let's um, let's lighten the mood a little bit with our uh, with our rapid fire round. So feel free to go into as much detail on these as you, as you want to, or you can just answer them with with one uh, with one answer. I did send them over to you before, so you've had a bit of time to prepare your answers for it. Um, but yeah, let's go. So um, I'm a massive foodie. I, this is a purely selfish question. You live in London, so I want to know where your favourite restaurant is. <laughs> Okay, this is why the question. Um, my favorite restaurant is Yawacha. It's in Soho. It's a Chinese restaurant. It's probably one of the best uh, restaurants I've ever been in London. Uh, there is those amazing uh, wagyu beef and rice, and oh my god, it's just the best. I and how, how do you spell that? Uh, Yawacha. Yeah. Y a e a t h a. Yawacha. Okay. Awesome. Right. Well, that's one for me to hit when we're allowed to go back to restaurants again. <laughs> um, what are you most grateful for right now? My health. I'm grateful to be healthy. I've had um, two injuries lately with my uh, knee tendon and I'm recovering now. And it's been very hard for me to be able to train as I used to. Um, fortunately, I'm like on good recovery. And a part of that, I'm healthy. I cannot complain. Uh, I think this pandemic has shown me that health is one of the most important things you got to look after. Yeah, absolutely. I hope I hope a lot I hope a lot of people have a reframing around around their health moving forward because I think uh, people have focused too much on being so busy and and not focusing on on their own nutrition. And it's um, I, I heard a really interesting concept recently that. All we are is is what we eat, and what I mean by that is every cell of our body, the the vocal cords that I'm using right now, the the eyes that I'm looking to look at the camera, um, it's all made from from the food that we eat, and and therefore whatever you eat, um, the quality of what you eat, and and 
and the sourcing is is vital to to how you function in everything. Hundred percent. That's why I turned into a giant horrible. <laughs> Don't tell me that I'm a dentist. <laughs> I love a Haribo. It's really bad. And it's 100% sugar and other bad things, but I do love my Haribos. Sometimes we need those treats. I think there's, you get the serotonin release. My One of my patients brought me in some uh, some Krispy Kremes yesterday, a whole box of them, and I had about three of them. That's my that's my real downfall. Donuts, I can't I can't resist. <laughs> Just the smell of them is uh, is enough to drive me, uh, drive me crazy. Good, good. Um, okay, where... Have you? Where was the best sunset that you've ever seen? In Bali, about three years ago. Um, we travelled there and we were walking on the beach and there was almost nobody. And the sunset just lay there for hours and it was just quiet, quietness. So that was one of the most beautiful. I, I've Bali is one of the one of the places that I've I've never been and and for some reason it does seem to have a special sunset in Bali, doesn't it? it seems to be one of those locations where um, there's just incredible colours that come out into the sky. That's incredible. I yeah, recommend. I need, I need to go. I need to go. Uh, what do you think most people get wrong about you? Hmm. That I am naive, I'd say. Um, because I'm kind, um, people have this opinion that, oh, this girl doesn't really know what she's talking about. I've been kind of pegged down and it's fine. I was like, you can think I'm a little bit naive and and I'm doing my business moving the back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a, it's, a, it's a great position of strength, to be honest with you, for people to under <laughs> underestimate you. Brilliant. And the, uh, the, last, the last question, which is the one that we asked to, to all of our guests on this podcast is what's the one small change that you've made in your life that you wish you made earlier? I don't know. <laughs> uh, sorry. I, I think I had a answer yesterday, but it's gone. Um, I'd say I started eating like 100% organic lately. So I wish I was able to make that change because I couldn't afford it before. So if I was able to, I would have um, changed to eating organic sooner. And what, what impact has that had on your life? On everything, on my health, on the, the, the way I enjoy food to, today, the way I respect people uh, who make this food. Um, it has really shifted my opinion on everything. Brilliant. Well, Cinderella, thank you so much for your time. It's been a, it's been a very, very interesting chat. I mean, we've really covered, we've covered a lot of big topics there and um, really appreciate your honesty on those. Uh, where, where can people find you uh, online? Uh, they can find me on Spotify, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Google. <laughs> Super. Well, well, we'll put your um, we'll put your handle in the uh, in the show notes. And yeah, really looking forward to uh, holding back coming out soon. Um, and uh, yeah, can't wait to to hear that and to hear the album next year. So thanks for your time, and uh, yeah, see you next time. Thank you for having me, Simon. Take care. Bye. Bye. Hi, guys. Simon again here. Just one more thing before you guys go. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I really hope it gave you an immense amount of value. If I could ask just one thing of you all, please subscribe to the podcast. Please share it. Please write a review if you enjoyed it. 
Please talk to your friends about it. The bigger the podcast gets, the better the guests I can get on and the more value I can give back to you all. So that's it from me. I'll see you on the next one. And until next time, enjoy the ride.